Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 73. My name is Adam. With me today, we're joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I have Ender's Game. <laughs> you have Ender's Game. Today we have a great show lined up. First, I had a chance to speak with director Matthew Cook on his new film, How to Make Money Selling Drugs, which is currently playing in theaters and on demand. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching before bringing in Film Pulse contributors Ernie Trinidad and Gina Kelly to talk about the LA Film Festival. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's talk with Matt Cook on his new documentary, How to Make Money Selling Drugs. Matthew, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Uh, Let's just go ahead and start with, this is your first uh, feature-length directorial film right um my question is. is what what brought you to this subject well life is funny i mean it's like a combination of intention and um who knows what what the other particles of the universe are doing to lead us one way or another um i think that having a a, a background in documentary filmmaking being passionate about subject matter that has social and ethical impact was was one side of it you know having worked with Amy Berg and producing Deliver Us From Evil and, and editing that film and then working with Adrian on Teenage Paparazzo um, put me in a position where I was going to be more able to make a documentary film than another type of film. And that's not to say that I, I wouldn't have wanted to do this. This has been a passion project idea of mine for probably about 15 years. Mm. Wow. So I guess let's let's start by talking about the film a little bit. Uh, it's how to make money selling drugs. And I guess what made you kind of gravitate towards making a film about drug culture? Well, I don't know if I really made a film about drug culture as much as I tried to make a film about what it's like to be a drug dealer and why someone might do that. Um, I think that there have been a, uh, quite a few really great films about how terrible the drug war is, and there seems to be a good segment of the population that that knows the drug war is terrible. And what I mean by that, to clarify, is that the drug war does not fulfill its supposed intention, which is to help um, people who are suffering from drug addiction and protect children and protect communities from from the, the devastation that drugs causes, both by consuming them in an abusive fashion and also by the violence that the, the underground market causes, that these problems are all exacerbated and, in fact, created by the war on drugs, and that if, as a society, we want to come together and find good solutions for helping one another out, those who are affected with addiction and so forth, that there's a better tool for that job. And I think that that um, awareness made me feel like uh, there was an opportunity to make another type of film that might reach an audience uh, a next generation of young voters who perhaps are currently politically apathetic or just don't know enough about the facts, mm-hmm. who would not be the type of people to see a Eugene Jarecki documentary, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make a film for them. Well, that actually brings me to my next question. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of people have been talking to you about this, the structure of the film. It's kind of set up almost like a video game in a lot of ways. There's there's levels to it, and you even have like a secret bonus level in there. Is that to make it more accessible to younger people? I think it's to make it more accessible to younger people, absolutely, and also people who want to see an entertaining film and who don't like to 
goes, Adrian Grenier and I have this joke about the spanking documentary, uh, the documentary that you watch for 90 minutes and it's just, you're miserable the whole time and then you just want to cry in your room and you feel like there's nothing you can do and, and you're just upset. And, and I actually, you know, as much as we're, we joke about that, I love a, a good documentary that deals with the subject matter in a very, in a very candid way. And I don't, I don't mind being sad for 90 minutes if I'm finding out the truth, but I do want to feel empowered. And what those types of documentaries have done for me is make me feel empowered to try to make a film for, for audiences who don't like that movie and who want to see something that's going to give them a thrill ride that for the audience of a, of a cocaine cowboys, for example, mm -hmm. or a good fellas and who are more inclined to watch something like that. And then, um, as a result, hopefully get educated about some of these basic facts and, and, and smash some of those unhelpful myths. Yeah. And, and I think that the way that you made it was done in a very kind of palatable way too. Like you packed a, a ton of information into this movie. It's it's more than just a simple handbook for drug dealing. You covered so much material. Uh, was there anything that you wish that you could expand on? Yeah, I mean, the format of 90 Minutes is, for some reason, palatable for people, and I think much more than that, especially in a film like this, would have been maybe too much. But I would have loved to talk about drugs themselves a little bit more. Um, it's such a vast issue and it's so complex and I think it's often just oversimplified. You know, we have recreational drugs, we have medicinal drugs, we have pain-killing drugs, we have drugs for escape, for religious purposes, for communal activities, and, and you know, 90% of the time when people try the drugs that aren't going to kill you the first time you do them, 90% of people can walk away and, and have a normal life, and then 10%, of course fall into this addiction trap, and why do they, and what is that about? Why do Americans seem to, to struggle with this um, a little bit on the higher end compared to other nations? And I think that area is really interesting and fascinating. I wouldn't have mind, minded being able to explore that more, um, but there just wasn't time for it in, in the picture. Yeah, and, and you do have a just a ton of information in this. I mean, and the way that you the way that the film structure, it just feels so kinetic that it's just, it's always moving. And then there's just so much information coming at you. And I think that that's actually quite refreshing because it, it felt it had a really good pace to it as well. Well, thank you. I mean, that was, that was the reason why that other information didn't fit in. And then also I just felt like, I felt like the audience we were speaking to, that's not why they were coming to see this particular film. Right. Um, now, in, in the movie, you talk to a ton of fascinating people uh, like Susan Sarandon, Woody Harrelson. But the thing that really interested me was the fact that you talked to former drug kingpins and even current drug dealers. Uh, how did you go yeah. about approaching these former dealers? And were they like apprehensive about being involved in the film? You know, I mean, it's not really. They Most of the former drug dealers that I talked to are are really incredible, to me, mind-blowing turnaround stories where these guys don't deal drugs anymore, obviously, mm -hmm. and they, uh, they now do something that's a real positive benefit for the community for the most part. So they're gang intervention specialists or they run a, a sobriety um, or rehab clinic or they regularly do public speaking about the, the war on drugs and how 
it does more damage than even the drugs themselves. And so all of these people have a, that's their life now, is telling their story and I'm really helping people out by doing so. And then the one active uh, drug dealer, it was just sort of serendipitous <clears throat> series of events that I cannot possibly go into about right. how I was able to interview him. But, you know, it's really not that um, difficult to find a drug dealer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I make a, uh, a joke, I guess. Um, you know, you could have spun any one of us like a top wherever we landed, wherever our finger happened to be pointing, there would be somebody with a very relevant uh, drug war story. Now, when you were in that situation, did that make you nervous at all, filming with him? Maybe for a moment I thought, um, you know, it would really suck if the cops busted <laughs> me and I haven't really checked out the laws of, you know, filming in a <clears throat> room with, filled with cocaine and allegedly, allegedly mm-hmm. I was there. I mean, I don't even know if I want to say I really, was really there if it was even me. Yeah, no, that's, that's um, quite good. But, uh, no, it, 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 there was a moment where it was, it was a little bit, uh, I had a, a thought, like, oh, you know, this could be dangerous, but no, it didn't really scare me that much. Okay, that's good. Uh, so in the movie, you show a lot of clips from HBO's The Wire, and you even speak with creator David Simon, um, though that shows probably a more realistic portrayal of the drug business. Uh, there's also shows like Weeds and Breaking Bad. Do you think that these mainstream TV shows do you think that they do more than just entertain viewers and possibly raise some awareness about the state of drug dealing? And I think The Wire did. I think The Wire definitely did, and it's extremely sophisticated. And uh, David Simon's a, a hero. I mean, he created genuine entertainment, engaging, dramatic material about characters that we care deeply about in a, in a landscape, in a terrain that was very realistic and accurate to what's happening on the street, which reveals to us this reality about what's going on in the drug war. So, I mean, it's the perfect, to me, that's the, that's the ideal, the perfect storm to be into. Um, right. You know, engaging people and, and teaching them something. So I think that show is remarkable in that capacity. I think uh, Weeds, I never really saw. I mean, I've heard great things about it, and I like the idea that we're getting, a, you know, somebody's doing a show that, that shows that a, a working middle-class mom could easily be a, a marijuana kingpin. And I think that's that's great to sort of normalize the, the reality of why people get into this business. And then Breaking Bad is just, I mean, it's one of the greatest shows, I think, the last couple of years. I mean, it's so amazing to watch. I don't know that Breaking Bad is the most politically informative. Um, I think that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think that's what the show's for. Right. No, I agree. But it, you know, it does do a little bit. It, it does do a little bit in terms of you know Brian Cranston being a, a science teacher who, in order to pay for medical, ends up doing this illegal thing. Uh, but I don't know. It feels like a, a big bridge to cross for most people. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. So, for the most part, the film plays out in some somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek way. Um, but have you received any? kind of backlash from people who, who misconstrue the message of the film? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I can't be surprised making a movie called How to Make Money Selling Drugs. There's <laughs> Absolutely. controversy surrounding that. And also the fact that there is this, this satire. I mean, 
I came up with the idea for this long before Stephen Colbert had a show, but later during the making of the movie, I thought, you know, this is, it's funny, it's almost like a 90-minute sketch of Stephen Colbert's The Word, but in mm-hmm. documentary format. It's just like this one giant poking fun at the absurdity of it all. Um, and yeah, people, that irritates people. Um, not everybody, but, you know, thank God. I mean, that's the point. But I think the more... I haven't figured out what the group is, that it is irritating, but it is irritating people. I mean, I've definitely read some reviews where they say, oh, God, this is so, it's too slick, it's, it's too, uh, it's, it's sending the wrong message, this is, you know, um, not in good taste, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you, have you had people come out against the film as, as, uh, that, that are taking it, like, literally as a, a guide? That, that actually... Um, hasn't happened that much. I've had people who have not watched the film do that, and I've had people who, who um, I think maybe overall might have a sense of disorientation take the film that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, maybe it's not just my movie that in which they find themselves disoriented. Uh, probably not. I wish to say about them sympathetically. Yeah. Have you kept in touch with any of the subjects of the film? Most of them, yeah. Bobby Carlton, uh, I keep in touch with, and Brian O'Day, and Barry Cooper, and uh, Big John and Skip are hopefully coming to, um, I believe they're coming to the L.A. opening tomorrow night, and um, or Friday night, I should say. And, uh, yeah, I keep in touch with a lot of them. Oh, that's good. That's good. So they're all. have they all seen the film, the final product? Yes, I tried to show everybody. I mean, there was almost everybody got an opportunity to see the film before... I locked the picture because I wanted them to feel that their stories were accurately represented and that their voices were being used in a way that they could stand behind. That's good. Um, final question. So in with the recent developments uh, that have just been happening this week with um, in Texas, we have SB5 being, you know, brought down. We have DOMA and Prop 8 being uh, nullified. Do you see with this kind of progressive uh, stance that's happening, do you see anything happening with the war on drugs? Do you see any progression there? I do. I do see progression there. I don't know that I could link it to the recent uh, Defense of Marriage Act um, ruling. Um, I'd love to say that there's this huge wave of progressive activity happening in the United States. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, But I, I am seeing that we're legalizing marijuana in uh, in one state after another, and this is in no small part thanks to the Drug Policy Alliance and Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, who, for your listeners out there, are great organizations to join uh, if they want to be a part of the coalition of those who are changing these laws. It's really about us. You know, it's about people who are voters and citizens who are voters voting into office, um, politicians who are going to represent our actual views. Otherwise, they're going to be beholden to special interests like the prison guards union and and so forth and they're just going to continue to prosecute these drug laws because their drug laws are so advantageous to the giant law enforcement organizations who benefit from them Um, as a final point to that of course they're not beneficial to the law enforcement officers themselves Uh, fighting a a losing drug war is not good for soldiers on either side so you know the but I, I, I do feel positive. I think that there's a lot of indication that um, that we're ready to start moving this thing 
in a better direction. And I don't think that there's a perfect solution, but there's a much better solution than what we have now, one that's more humane, that really takes care of people and, and uh, in, a, in a way that's of benefit to them and not throwing people in prison for, for, for drug use or essentially throwing them into a no-win scenario because they're, they're uh, in a poverty-stricken community where the only job they can get is one that's, that's in the black market. So, right. um, but look, today, you know, there's a great majority of, of Americans who believe marijuana should, be, should not be a jailable offense, and there's a great majority of Americans who think that it should be legalized. And as you, you know, and if your listeners go see and uh, uh, watch the film, they'll see that, that you know, we're essentially proponents of ending the drug war, and, and not because we want everyone to do drugs, uh, quite the opposite. Um, we want everybody to be, um, we, we want to divert that giant pie of the U.S. budget away from, from military action on our own citizens and those abroad, uh, and, and instead have a more holistic, medical, um, psychological approach to addiction, which is, that's the issue we want to address, and let's really address it. Yeah, and I think that that's something that the mass populace agrees with, and I think that films like yours are extremely important to raising awareness of this. I think one of the biggest things that we can all do is just raise awareness, and uh, I thank you for that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for doing the same thing yourself. Thanks again, Matthew. I highly recommend checking this one out in the theater if you can. But if not, it's also playing on Video On Demand. So check check that out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be talking about what I thought about that in just a second. Let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. Kevin, we'll start with you this week. Ooh, me. I rewatched L.A. Confidential. I saw that. Because my wife has never seen that film. So I got to rewatch it, and it was actually, it worked out very nicely, because it's been such a long time since I've seen it, that I pretty much forgot most of the story. I've I'd, seen that like ten times. I've, so. like, I, I knew like bits and pieces of it, so it was almost like watching it for the first time again, which was thoroughly enjoyable. It's such a great film, and it's a perfect example of Hollywood making an entertainment film that is also great. They just don't seem to make these that much anymore. Except for maybe like same sort of category I would say like Argo, where it's not amazing by any stretch. Like it's the acting is well to like, me it's amazing. I mean there's nothing that like, It's one of my favorite f- movies of all time. So. It's just everything works so damn well. It's just nothing nothing to me is really like over the top amazing that blows my mind, but everything's just done so well that it just all comes together perfectly. Well, that's one of the reasons that I love it so much is because it is a good example of making something, like you said, like doing it well. Like, I'm I'm a fan of noir, so anytime a noir comes out that's modern but also really well made, I'm instantly going to be latching on to that. And the other thing that it sort of did it is it made me hate Gangster Squad even more. Oh God! Dude, <laughs> you know there's, I mean? no, there's no comparison now. I remember. No, but you know I, that Gangster Squad was trying to be like L.A. Confidential. Oh sure. And yeah. They I failed mean, miserably. Yeah. I mean, I I still stand by what I originally said about Gangster Squad, where I, I was entertained by it. Yeah. You know, I. But it was. I'm not going to say it was a good movie. No. But the only thing that it sort of surprises me is the Kim Basinger winning an Oscar for this. 
Yeah, I, I don't really I get just, that. I, did, I thought she gave the weakest performance out of everyone. But it was a great, uh, great uh, Kevin Spacey playing Kevin Spacey. That guy, mm-hmm. he plays himself so well. It's amazing. And this is early Spacey, yeah. too. So. Oh, my God. He's such a smug asshole. It's, it's so great. <laughs> I love it. I love him. As His character the, in that movie was so awesome. I know. Danny DeVito, too, does a great job. I mean, like, everyone mm-hmm. does a great job. Russell Crowe does a great job. I'm not, I'm not usually a big fan of Russell Crowe. But also wondering what the hell happened to Curtis Hansen, who directed. Yeah, it. he didn't. He didn't do too much. <laughs> no, he this. went on to make a lot of shit films. To be quite honest. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't do too much. And then I followed this up with Mama, which I find interesting because Mama. this is a movie that I haven't even seen. This is it's a horror movie. Yeah, this is again. We, me and my wife, like to watch horror movies on Friday nights for some reason. It's just like a. That's like my horror time. It's your horror time. Okay. That's, that's I my, got it. That's my horror time. So we so we got Mama. This gave Insidious a fucking run for its money. This is... I really wish that you saw this. Because we could just tear into it like crazy. Well, that's why I didn't see it. Because... Oh my god. This is just... It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. There, there's like nothing to it. There's no meat to the story. There's... I mean, it's your... Very, very typical jump scare horror film. But it e- didn't interest me. So. But even then, they only do like three jump scares. That's it. And there's like nothing else throughout the film. And you're just like, is this really a horror film? Because you're not doing anything. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Where Mama, who's like a ghost, spirit, specter type thing, just like pops up every now and then. And it's like, okay, cool. Oh, you're going to do it again? Great. And it's just... It's, the, and the the story is the two girls survive in the wilderness for five years on their own with the help of this ghost spirit mama. So they're when they're finally found, they're like feral children. They're living mm-hmm. like animals. And apparently they've been surviving off of cherries for five years, which strike one against fucking film. And... So they bring them back to this clinic or whatever, and they're observing them, and they're still acting like wild animals until their fucking uncle walks in with a pair of glasses for the oldest. She takes the glasses, puts them on, and then all, oh my God, magically, she's completely fine. And she's just, she's a regular human being again. Like, she puts the glasses on, she goes, Daddy? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Five years in the wilderness, and glasses is what does it. Like that. Did they give her an eye exam? Did they have a proper prescription for her? I she had glasses before, so I guess they knew. But, I mean, five years without your glasses because they broke in the beginning of the film? Her eyes would be fucked. Yeah. Could you imagine living five years without glasses? It'd be t- With my eyesight, no. Exactly. I wouldn't be able to do it. No, me either. <laughs> I would completely lose it. I would go insane. But here, they just throw glasses on her and bam, she's back to being human. It's just, it's fucking terrible. And the ending is just batshit insane. Over the top, ridiculous absurdity. It's it's just, it's so terrible. It's so unbelievably terrible. It's just so lazy. What the hell has happened to horror? Well, it's, there's a lot. Well, we can get into a long conversation about that, but horror is definitely not what it used to be but it it's just so lazy and uninspired yeah, that, just well, do the same thing over and over again yeah that's the thing that they 
they know what works and they know what makes money and sells tickets and that's what they like to stick with. Yeah. I mean the the two girls do an amazing job, especially the youngest who's uh Lily played by Isabel Melise. She does an amazing job cuz she's still like she doesn't really become human. She sort of still stays in this like feral child state and she's like running around on all fours and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's she's creepy and she does a great job. But everything else is just awful. Just unbelievably terrible. Highly not recommended. And then uh, I rewatched Man Bites Dog. Good old French film from 1992. This was uh, for my 10 out of 10 that I did for, that I wrote, which is up mm-hmm. on the website. Mm-hmm. And god damn it, I love this film. And Did we, now, I remember, did we see this at the same time? I think so. I think it was this was one of those movies that I just bought. I think I think that maybe you you bought it and, and just, then watched yeah, it we just and then let it. me I think that cuz I don't know if we saw it together. I think maybe you saw it first and then gave it to me to watch or something. But I remember being completely blown away by this movie. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of those films that you feel bad saying that you liked it. You know what I mean? Like as yeah. you're watching it, you're like, "Ah, I shouldn't like this." Well, yeah, it's pretty pretty fucked up. It's yeah. I mean it's it's pretty fucked up and then they get to like the rape scene and you're like, Oh Jesus. Yeah. Cause it's so it's so realistic. I mean people that haven't seen this film, this is the like a found footage mockumentary type where a documentary crew follows around a serial killer. It's just, you know, it's like a reality T V show as he just kills people, rapes, dumps bodies in the quarry whatever else he does and it's extremely disturbing because it's extremely realistic looking yeah they do a fantastic job and the weird thing is that the directors they never went on to do anything else they made this and then that's it yeah i wonder what happened with that it's it's very bizarre i mean this and for this being like a debut feature and be that fucking good and then not really go on to do anything else it's very odd but if you have not seen that definitely Check out Man Bites Dog. And I sort of miss doing that. I used to do that all the time where I would just be sitting around and just run out and buy a DVD that I've never heard of just to watch it. Yeah, I think that times have changed with the internet and stuff now. And this this is one of those films. I've been... I, I found a lot of good films that way. Just buying them on a whim. Well, I was just talking to, to my girlfriend last night about our Asian movie kick that we had. Yeah, dude, we used to scour I mean, eBay. We, we, and just buy things. We would just, that's, I mean, that's how we discovered a lot of great Asian directors like Johnny Toe and uh, Beat Takeshi and Mieke and all those. Good times. Good times. Uh, and then I watched a little uh, sort of low key, um, like lighthearted indie comedy, Natural Selection. I almost watched this several times on Netflix. This this was it was pretty good. I mean, I remember hearing about, and this is one of those things that when it played the festivals and stuff, people were talking about it, talking about it. Rachel Harris, who mm-hmm. you might know from The Daily Show mm-hmm. and The Hangover, it, they kept talking about her performance. It was almost like uh, what's her uh, Margot Martindale, how they were talking about her for uh, Scalene. So that's what initially got me very excited for it. There's all this buzz, and then of course festivals 
stops playing at the festivals, festivals are over, and then you just never hear from it again. And it's like, why don't filmmakers put these things on video on demand when there's a ton of buzz at the moment for it? Yeah, it did, get a, it did get a video on demand release before it came out like on DVD and Netflix. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. it was well after all the buzz has completely died out for the film. Right, yeah, it was. And I mean, Rachel Harris does do a great job. Um, Matt O'Leary actually does a pretty good job, who you may remember as the brain from Brick. Mm-hmm. He plays a completely different character in a sort of white trash career criminal of uh, from like Florida. And essentially, Rachel Harris cannot have children with her husband. She's barren, and finds out that he's been going to the like the what what do you call that? Where you donate sperm. Sperm bank. Sperm bank. He's been going to that for like the last 22 years. And he has a stroke the last time he's there while he's doing his business. And she mm-hmm. finds out that he has a son, so she drives the whole way to Florida to try and get him. So it's like a road trip type film. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, lighthearted. Not amazing. Like a light recommend if you don't have anything to do. Meh. Other than that, that's all I did. That's all I saw. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tear through my list. Uh, I started off the week with Generation Um, which is that uh, Keanu Reeves drama. This looks, uh, this looks terrible. I, d- I hated it. Uh, I really did. I thought it was pretty terrible. Now, normally I actually like movies like this. It's this type of movie where it's there's no real plot. It's just kind of following these people around. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't like the characters at all. And there's, there really is no story whatsoever. There's, I don't even understand what the point of this movie was at all. Uh, Ernie reviewed it for the site, and he actually liked it a lot. So we'll have to just, talk to Ernie about that. It just wasn't for me. I just was, it was not gelling mm. with me. Mm. It was pretty aimless. Uh, Keanu Reeves was pretty good in it, but for the most part, it was pretty boring pretty slow it looked it looked pretty decent but at this point in the game it felt like it was one of those 90s or maybe early 2000s uh like indies that came out like uh the one that i liked a lot was uh it it was that um it was ethan hawk the the one about the chelsea hotel chelsea walls i think Mm, was the name of it yeah it's sort of like that but much less interesting (laughs) Uh, I saw How to Make Money Selling Drugs, which uh, we just heard an interview with the director. Are you going this... to be a drug dealer now? <laughs> no, uh-huh. I don't don't think so. But, I mean, you can probably tell by the interview I was a big fan of this movie. The, the way it was structured, like how it was like a video game with different levels and like 8-bit music and... All that stuff I thought was great. And again, I'll reiterate that there was so much information packed into this movie, but the way that they presented it was very accessible and it was it was just fantastic. I loved it. Nice. I saw Syrup, which is a comedy that's currently playing on demand right now. This looks I did not like this. Oh. No. I like the concept. It's about uh advertising you know but it did not work for me 
whatsoever. It was not funny, and a lot of it was a lot of it felt really cheap, like addressing the camera and putting putting things up on the screen, like definitions and things like that, as they're talking and describing different marketing and advertising terms. And none of that worked for me. And one of the things that bothered me so much was the names of the characters. Like, the main guy's name is Scat. <laughs> what? And uh, who I like a lot, by the way. The, the, the guy that plays the main character, I believe his, his name is Shiloh Fernandez. He's in uh, Dead Girl, which mm. I thought was really interesting. He was, he was but... also, he had a pretty big part in the East. Which he oh, did, yeah? Yeah, he did a really good job in that film. Yeah, I like him, but he and he was fine in this movie. It's just that it wasn't the perf- it's wasn't the performances that were bad. It was just everything else. Uh, and I'm also I'm also a big fan of Amber Heard, and her name was Six. <laughs> you gotta be fucking shit. Yeah. Ridiculous. So I, uh, it's not really a recommend for that. Uh, I saw a movie called Chipitulous. Uh, I want to see this. This is a so documentary put out by Oscilloscope, which I feel like that they've been on a roll recently. Oh, yeah. Like, everything that I've been seeing out of them has been fantastic. And this this movie's good. It's not, like, mind-blowing or anything, but it it falls in line with the type of movies that I like. I like uh, the Only the Young, which was another Oscilloscope one that has that kind of gritty look to it, almost like George Washington or something like that. Uh, although this takes place in New Orleans. Basically, it's about a group of, a group of uh, three young black kids that take a ferry into New Orleans, and they basically just kind of wander around and see the sights and listen to some fantastic music. And that's pretty much the movie the the hook is that they have to get back on the ferry by midnight and they miss it so they get stuck in new orleans overnight mm. and they they have to to the camera crew basically just follows them around while they wait for the morning ferry that sounds like the best thing that could happen to you uh yeah i mean it's it's pretty interesting the music is great not much of a story going on. Like, they don't really get into the lives of these kids at all. Like, yeah. they just kind of throw you in, and you don't really know who the kids are or why there's even a camera crew following them. So yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I always, I always like those, though. I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. Just, you know, like a slice slice of life. Just spending yeah, a day I mean, with that's people. That's pretty much exactly what it is. So it's definitely worth checking out and it looks and the visuals are really good too. I mean, they, they get a lot of like, there's one scene where they go into this like abandoned building and there's like this like really crazy, huge ornate chandelier. And it's just, it looks visually the movie looks really good, but there's just not a lot as far as plot. Yeah. Uh, I saw Mario Bava's blood and black lace from 1964. Oh, Bava. This was my Grindhouse Weekly feature. I wanted to do a Giallo uh, film because I'm, I'm a big fan of Giallo films. And I haven't written about any of those yet for my feature. Wow, really? So, it's been that? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
I don't know why I just haven't got around to it. But anyway, I, I watched this one because this is essentially the the beginning of the Giallo film. It's mm. one of the very first Giallo-style films, and it kind of sets sets the tone for things to come. The The way that it's structured in the style is pretty much replicated even now. Even, I mean, they, this movie pretty much invented the slasher film. Mm, nice. Uh, because when it came out, by this time, Mario Bava was already very popular and he had a few hit movies on his hands so yeah. they basically allowed him complete creative control over the film and they nice. said okay you you can do whatever you want so what he does is he decides to instead of making a murder mystery procedural that focuses on the inspectors trying to find out who the killer is he focuses the movie on the killing itself and follows the killer around and essentially it's the same thing that we see now in slasher movies yeah but when this came out there was just nothing like it and it was it was fantastic i might i mean it might turn out to be a 10 out of 10 for me but right now i'm sitting at like a nine and a half all right i'm gonna definitely have to check this out i've actually seen a baba film before yeah you saw black sunday right? yeah which remember i forgot that i saw it yeah. And watched half of it again. <laughs> and then I was uh, like, this seems really familiar. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, Deep Red is still my favorite Giallo film, but this this is a very close second. There's certain things that bothered me about this movie, uh, mostly technical stuff. Like, they, they use some speed ramping in certain parts that looks really weird, like, mm. to see people moving in fast forward, <laughs> which I don't... I mean, I guess they did that due to time constraints. Uh, also, the when they shot the movie, it was they shot everything in English. All the all the dialogue was in English, and he had all the actors speak English. However, after it was done, they ended up redubbing it in Italian, so none of the voices match. And in fact, they they didn't get the original actors to do the dubbing either. Yes. So it's all completely. <laughs> different actors uh, as well oh that would drive me crazy yeah so that's that's an issue but i don't know why they did that i guess maybe that the actors were not speaking clear enough english maybe. so they ended up just saying okay well we'll, we'll just redub it in italian because they they wanted to do it in english for us but <laughs> you, you would think that they would you know Sort of come to that conclusion a little bit earlier. Yeah, than exactly. say it in, in filming the entire film. Yeah, uh, you know what? The English thing not working. Yeah, exactly. Darn it! We have an uh, hour and a half of this. No good. Saw the heat. Um, you know, it, this was fine. It was pretty formulaic. It was pretty predictable. There wasn't a lot of funny stuff in it, but there were a few moments that made me laugh. So it's it's like a middle of the road for me. Like, I would rather have a movie that has some sparse laughs in it than have a movie that's cranking out joke after joke that doesn't land. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, that's that's embarrassing and, for everyone involved. Yeah, and that's how this movie is. There's just so many jokes and, and things in it that just don't work, that are not funny. Uh, and then, like, the overall plot is 
pretty predictable and boring. Like there's, it's, it's like that they just wanted to have the, this base level plot in order to get these two characters together. And in order to put them in different situations where they can be funny, Mm. but also I'm kind of getting sick of the whole Melissa McCarthy, uh, character that she plays yeah i think that i think that she's really talented and really funny but i feel like at this point she's just they're giving her the same roles over and over and And i it's unfortunate because like you said i think she is really talented because i i thoroughly enjoyed her when she was like well nelson hell and stuff but you're right she keeps getting the same characters over and over again but at the same time you're from melissa mccarthy you gotta strike while the iron's hot yeah, exactly. I can't. You can't really blame her. Got to make that money. Yeah, so it's a, a very light recommend for me. I would say like rental. Rental. Check it. Check it when it comes out on Netflix. It's probably not worth going to see in the theater. I, you can read my full review on the site for my detailed thoughts. Yeah, sure. Uh, I also saw Redemption, which is the new Jason Statham movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah well here's the thing about this this is a lot different surprisingly than most of what we've seen from jason statham it's probably still bad though it was okay but it was at least going for something new different. okay right. yeah i mean this it, it was directed by the guy who he, I think that this is the first movie he directed but it, he wrote eastern promises uh, his name's mm. Stephen Knight. Okay. Maybe he... Uh, I think this this is the first movie that he wrote. We have a review up on the site now. Todd actually reviewed it and gave it a four and a half. And I'm actually sitting at that score as well. It's it's promising, but at the same time, it, it inevitably falls flat. Great performance by Statham, though. Mm. It's. I mean, it's more of a drama than an action movie. There are v- a few bits of action but almost none at all yeah it's more about a guy who's wrestling with his past and trying to be a better person and while fighting addiction and and that type of thing so it it does go to some interesting places uh and then finally i saw a horror comedy called 100 bloody acres which is playing on demand right now and in select cities uh this was a surprise this is an australian horror comedy and normally with horror comedies they're just they're so hit or miss like you you have good ones like tucker and dale versus evil or Shaun of the dead and then you have like a slew of crap that Mm. comes out with these oh yeah uh fortunately this is a good one okay basically i think that it originally premiered at the stanley film festival and it's basically about these brothers who own an organic fertilizer company and they find out that (laughs) by harvesting the glands of humans they can make this like super potent fertilizer and they end up kidnapping these 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 three kids and attempting to harvest their potassium (laughs) which is which is one really funny line where 
one of the at, at one point one of the kids gets away and he he goes up to a cop and says he wants to kill me for my potassium. And <laughs> uh, there's it's really funny. It's actually very very funny. Very gross. A lot of blood and guts. And the dialogue is is great. Um, the standout is definitely Damon Harriman, who you've probably seen him in a ton of stuff. Never knew he was Australian, though. Mm-hmm. I thought when that happens. Yeah, never knew it. Never knew he was Australian. What, what's he was the name again? David? Da- Damon Harriman. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. in Justified. He's in The Lone Ranger that's coming out. He's in a ton of stuff. Oh, he, yeah. always plays, he always plays like a redneck. Yeah. yeah. Never knew he was Australian. Yep, had no idea he was Australian. Yep. But I I highly recommend it. If you're into horror movies and you want to see a good horror comedy, check out Hundred Bloody Acres. That's all I saw. So let's talk about the LA Film Festival. Ernie and Gina, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, I guess I don't really have any kind of like plan with this so nice. i guess we'll just we'll just start out by maybe talking about some of the highlights i guess gina we'll start with you highlights at the la film festival for me really wow they're hard they're kind of hard to pin down there was a lot of great material there um i fell in love with ain't them bodies saints that was a, a great highlight for me um that's one gorgeous film and it's really interesting how this little group of uh, independent filmmakers are kind of leaning on each other. Um, Director David Laurie is kind of loosely connected to a lot of independent cinema right now um, and is editing. Like he edited Mm -hmm. Upstream Color, for example. Um, Worked on a lot of films in the mumblecore genre. And he comes out with this film that's totally not, um, that wouldn't be classified by those films per se. Right. Um, right. The cinematography was totally gorgeous. Bernie, you were there with me. What did you think about that film? Well, I could definitely tell you were into that movie. I mean, even though we were <laughs> stuck in the second row, you were at some points like leaning forward. I'm like, <laughs> it's like you wanted to, like you wanted to dive in there. But it's like I thought it was really, really good. I mean, it's um, not what I was expecting. I, I we've I remember when we were discussing it, we were throwing Malik's name around, and uh, but. Um, if for a film like that, I was expecting something like a. It's a very. I guess you could almost say it's like a very low key Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, which is sure. Not to say it's a bad thing. So. Except that the, I feel like the action's not what the focus is in that film, as compared to a Bonnie and Clyde, for example. But yeah, you can almost say it was like Drive, where Drive is an action movie with no action. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um. That's a good way to put I it. I just the jealousy is just building. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh. I, w- I want to see this movie so bad. You will. Oh, yeah. so I, well, we were we were lucky we got in there. So. It's true. Was, uh, yeah. So, I, one question I do have about Ain't Them Bodied Saints is I think you touched on it a little bit the cinematography, because it actually has one of my favorite cinematographers working right now, which is Bradford Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the audience so, clapped when his name was on this screen. I mean. Nice. That's the only other time in the credits that the audience applauded. That it's it's really mm-hmm. well done, poetically driven, and I mean, I, of course, that pairs with some really great editing. But I, right. I think you'll be really, really happy to see this nostalgic, but not overly nostalgic image. Um, 
you know, because it's placed in the 70s, for example, um, the, it, the, the rhythm of the shots and the, the way that they're framed and everything, it's just nothing is too predictable and everything's just gorgeously, gorgeously captured. Nice. So, I mean, it's a great combination. He's a great, yeah, he's great. And you gave that a 10 out of 10. I did. I started off with like a 9.5. I was like stingy, you know, and then I, I, I was like, wait, that's just frustrating. I'm just going to give this what I think it deserves. It deserves a 10. I'm giving it a 10. I, I do that frequently. There have been several movies where I gave a 9.5, even though I just absolutely loved it uh-huh. just because. Uh-huh. You just you don't want to give it that 10. Like I, back, I really back almost. Yeah. Like I really yeah. loved Kings of Summer and I don't think I gave right. that a 10. I don't want to cheapen the ten. I don't want to make tens yeah, easy exactly. to get. Exactly. You know, so yeah. I really do. Tens are that. tens are very hard to get out of me. So. Yeah. Well, well I my first so. two tens at this festival, so this is the first time I'm I'm bestowing the ten. That's right. You also gave only God forgives a ten out of ten, which you upgraded mm-hmm. from. What did you have? It I was originally an eight. Yeah, it's an eight. Yeah, that's, that's about crazy. where I, that's where I was sitting. Was an eight. So. You were sitting with an eight. Yeah. You know what? I realized that you guys had given a ten to Spring Breakers, and I I was in the podcast for that, and I was telling you, man, I would have given that movie like a four or something like that. <laughs> you know, but there is. You talked about it, and there is a there is a dramatic difference that happens when you've got that director in the room telling you what what the film was like to make you know, some, some clues as to his or her person as a filmmaker really uh, evolved the way that I experience a film. Like, um, he's, this guy's colorblind, for example. So the palettes of Drive mm. and, and Only God Forgives are a little driven by his colorblindness. And I, I found mm. that really interesting. And, you know, so, yeah, the 10, if I had just seen this in the theaters without that particular presentation, I probably would have stuck with my 8. But I thought about this film so much afterwards that, that that's why I gave it the 10. Nice. Well, um, actually, I think that, that that brings up a good point. All of you guys, uh, Alicia also gave almost everything that at the festival pretty high scores. So it seems like you were pretty much into almost there was, everything. There was no computer chesses. <laughs> <laughs> I want to revisit that. But don't, anyway, Ernie, don't do it. Ernie, what what was what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, but uh, there is one movie that I have yet to review that that kind yeah. of ru- ruined the perfect scores. <laughs> but I haven't gotten to that one yet. So. It's funny but, how um, it's last. Mm. Yeah, yeah we'll get I remember. I remember knowing wanting to do computer chess at South by. I remember me and Adam mm. arguing over who had to review that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then I got I bourbon still... in me and decided that I'll do it. <laughs> Damn oh, that might help. But, but I'm trying to think. I did go to a party. I can't, but I can't remember what movie I saw afterwards. After a couple beers, I think I liked the movie even more. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't remember, what, can't remember what it was. But um, yeah, the uh, highlights for me was like it's all over the map. Um, I mean, just for celebrity settings alone, um, Harry just having Harry Dean Stanton there and performing live after seeing his movie was like great and uh, who knew he was such a great musician and singer so i guess he did but he never really pursued it and that was great and then um there was a documentary called american revolutionary the uh the uh the evolution of uh, what's her name grace lee boggs uh that was a solid film which i have yet to review but she's 97 years old and lives in detroit and flew out to la for the film fest and was there 
to discuss the film after during the q a it was like wow that, that was that was pretty amazing just ever i would have just stayed there just listen to her talk and give, give a uh, lecture on whatever she wanted to discuss and that was really great um but for movie wise um so far i would say the best thing i saw was the art of killing because uh i still can't shake that movie and the act it was of killing it, yeah the act yeah the act of killing yeah i remember when uh and Gina, Alicia, and I were discussing who's going to review what. Both of them said, you're going to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> you always seem to be good with the, the heavy stuff. I'm like, uh, that, that's really heavy. I'm like, And then after I saw it, I was like, yeah, thanks for giving me that one. That was, <laughs> it's like, I can't shake that one. Even to this day, I still can't shake that one, especially when it comes out in a couple of weeks. But when you get to the ending, you're like, wow. <laughs> and I always remember yeah. when people were leaving, people were leaving the theater like they were a funeral. Yeah. No one was saying no one was saying anything. People were just dropping their ballots and just walking away. Huh. <laughs> and there were and there were a lot of walkouts during the movie. I could totally get why they were leaving. It was definitely a hard movie to sit through, but that was definitely definitely one of the good ones. And then um Lesson of the Evil was a total opposite of that, where it was just totally unexpected on what Nikkei pulled off here and all I heard when this went leaving the theater was like it was like yeah, that was good. But that's not coming out in the U.S. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I saw that movie, so oh, I, you, I, that's right, you I, did see it. I can attest to that. I missed it at the festival, but I thought I would have an opportunity. I'm sad. It's so pretty that, crazy. I mean, yeah. like I Kevin, I don't know if you would be as into it because it, it is more of kind of a like traditional horror movie almost. It's a, it's not your standard weirdness for me, okay? Uh, there's some weird stuff in it. There is some weird stuff, but compared to other Mike, it's pretty straightforward. And when the, yeah, it's not... the when the weirdness comes out, it's like it it's not doesn't feel like Mike. It just makes sense in what's been going down in the world. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. It's not like Gozu or anything where it's just yeah. completely batshit crazy. Uh, that's the Mike. Yeah, I, I mean, like. it might, might kind of go off. It might go off the rail at the end, but you're like, okay, this is what it's. But you're like, Jesus, what the hell's he doing? <laughs> There are uh, there are some bow and arrow scenes in it too. That's mm. good. The bow and arrow seems to be gaining in popularity. <laughs> yeah, a little Gotta bit. Blame, gotta blame that Hunger Games. I know it is. Damn yeah. Hunger Games. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about negatives. Got to talk about some negatives. Any anything now, Ernie? You mentioned that there was one movie in particular that you didn't that you weren't too fond of, which I imagine you'll have a review for that. Is that is that under embargo or anything? Um, it is not. I just haven't gotten around to writing about it yet because I'm still writing about <laughs> everything I saw. <laughs> but um, so stay stay tuned for that. Um, Gina, was was there any? What was your least favorite? My least favorite was probably Forty Years from Yesterday. Forty years, Forty Years from Yesterday, or After Yesterday. Um, the film was a an exercise you know it, it was really an exercise student filmmakers I was excited to see it because I thought it was an adventurous film the the directors were using their family members to investigate um, the death of the mother and what that would look like and so while I was expecting something that was a little bit more Faulkner-esque um, like As I Lay Dying mm-hmm. which has some perspective from each character this film was trapped kind of cinematography and, and the cinematography was kind of trapped in um, a portrait the entire time. And it kept you from connecting with any of the emotion or, 
or um, activity that's happening in the film. Like the father goes out jogging, he comes back, and his wife has died. And, you know, it feels a little cold the entire time because everything is just trapped in the center of the frame. They don't investigate any counterpoint shots. They, don't, they, they do nothing besides put things in the center of the frame. And if they were really good at that, at composing it, at lighting it, that would have been a really beautiful way, but it didn't seem like they were aware that they were shooting these portraits. And so they didn't really treat them as portraits. It was just a place for the camera to be, and I found that really disappointing. Mm. Okay. Um, but I think that was really, you know, outside of some shorts that were a little hard to sit through, that was really the, the worst thing I saw at the festival. Um, another really great piece, actually, that I'd like to just mention really quick is a doc by Ellen Berliner called First Cousin Once oh, Removed. Oh, my I God. I see that damn movie. We almost saw that in Austin. I missed it itself, but mm. I hate everything. Because and you hate everything because of it. <laughs> I um, see that damn movie. I've been wanting to see that for like three years. I've been writing, like really slowly writing this review because it's a delicate review to write. And I want to give the film justice by writing in a way that, that complements the film. And that's just a difficult thing to do. This is a documentary of a filmmaker who was approached by his poet cousin once the poet cousin learned that he has Alzheimer's to document that process of him losing his memory. And so they've made this agreement. And of course, you know, throughout this film, you, you know that this man is no longer aware of that agreement. And, and you really do watch a poet struggling with losing his, his mind, but also his language. Um, and it's just, it's a beautifully done thing. It just, I, I, I have a hard time even speaking about it because I haven't really written about it correctly yet. But I encourage mm -hmm. anyone to go see that film. It's amazing. This is one of those films for me that, it, like, right now it's a 10 out of 10 already. And I haven't even seen <laughs> right. it yet. I just know that it's going to be a 10 out of 10. The, the even more beautiful part is that the editing, um, it's, not a, it's not based in continuity. So we're more, the, the filmmaker is more interested in constructing a poetic lang language really out of the images to, to express something about his cousin who is a poet. And that language, where those two things meet, that's the most beautiful thing of the film. Yeah, I remember you uh, you were selling that to me, and I'm kind of regretting the fact that I didn't take the, take the plunge and go. I mean, I can't remember what I was seeing that was playing opposite, but I, there, I found flexibility as the schedule, as the festival went along. I'm like, oh, I probably could have squeezed that in. I'm like, Honestly, I think like, it might have been the act of killing, wasn't it? it probably. I think so. <laughs> but, You'll catch it. That, 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 pro that probably would have been a better, uh, a more enjoyable experience. <laughs> It's, it's apparently coming to HBO. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I heard that. That was also one of the most fascinating um, director talks afterwards because, you know, we're, that he had so much more to say because it's a family member also that he's talking about. Um, just a really exquisite um, communicator, that filmmaker, Ellen Berliner. But yeah, now, you'll see you, it on HBO. Did you guys see any, or did you do anything other than like screenings and Q&As? Did you go to any panels or galas or any of that stuff i i uh, went to um the uh future filmmakers showcase one of them they had two programs which was like pretty entertaining they had like they're all the films are directed by teenagers and there's first film first festival and there's like there were 15 of them in attendance which was pretty interesting they, they had some good stuff in there some pretty banal stuff and then some really solid efforts from kids kind of like make you like you, you little shit and like <laughs> how, can you, how, how can you be so good 
But uh, that was good. Um, I did get, I did manage to go to the uh, director's panel with Shane Black, which was um, a pretty entertaining uh, conversation. And um, that one was sold out really fast. And I was amazed I got in there. But the highlight of that was uh, an entertaining uh, question was um, the, the usual question that was like, what kind of suggestions would you give budding screenwriters and whatnot, which usually draws grunts from audiences like, oh, not that question again. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and his response was, it's like, it's, he basically says screenwriting is hard. And it's like, and screenwriting basically boils down to 97% of them is talent. The rest of them has no talent. And it's like, and it's basically just again trying to make sure you're getting to that seven percent. And basically, he just he just pauses and looks at the audience. Now, you guys, you got nothing to worry about. You have no talent. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's like, so everyone's like, huh? It's like, yeah. It's like you have no talent. You got nothing to worry about. So <laughs> they just left it there. <laughs> so Ernie, like, you saw twenty nine films at the festival. Is that right? That is right, and I had no intention of hitting that mark. It's just that time, because basically I've been to so many festivals where I set a schedule on how many movies I want to see, and invariably something happens that I end up missing two, three a day because of movies running late, Q&As running late, and timing where the movie already started and then I missed it. And um, I was able to make about just every single movie I chose, and I did have to make some adjustments. But some uh, When we went to see Only God Forgives, um, I was going to see a Goodbye World after, but the Q&A ran way over. And so, like, oh, well, that, that's good enough. And then there was a uh, couple of the ones that I had to change. But uh, but I did, yeah, see that many freaking movies. <laughs> uh, speaking of Goodbye World, I think that that was one of Alicia's top picks. So I'm I'm really interested in checking that one out as well. And it was uh, also, I noticed some interesting trends out uh, there were like movies about end of the world, goodbye world, and in a way, the fifth season, which I just posted a review on, and ties of communism in a couple of the movies that I saw. And then uh, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's like specific trends they're trying to do at this fest. Final thoughts on maybe the festival as a whole, Gina? Well, the as a whole, you know, I, I wish that I had Ernie's diligence about being in theaters <laughs> that much um, and that long. Unfortunately, I've got some weird eyes, so I'm a little bit more limited to how much I can see in a day. And what I noticed, I suppose, one, like, I love how supportive they are of their volunteers and how, how yeah. they um, really, I mean, really, they get a huge applause every single screening for the 700-some volunteers or whatever it took. Um, everyone was really amazing. Everyone was really, um, really, really interested in the films that they were presenting. The, the curation was really top-notch. Like, the, the shorts opening for the, the features that were being screened, they were just paired so well. Um, yeah, I, they also chose pretty much the best venue for projections in, in L.A., L.A. Live. So I, pr- I really appreciated being able to see all of these films in that kind of quality. Um, yeah, all in all, it was a, it was a great experience, and I, I'm excited to hopefully go next year. Ernie, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, it's definitely one of the best fests I've been to. Um, not just the fact that I was actually able to see as many films as I did, and... and uh, and the fact that the majority, the vast majority of them actually turned out to be solid films. And, um, but it was a really well-run festival. And um, it got to the point, I guess it got to the point where 
volunteers are actually recognizing me. It's like, oh, you again, you. Yeah. Again. <laughs> it's like you again. You're back. And like, like you're Where still you? here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, kept running into one of them. It's like, oh yeah, what do you know? It's like, oh yeah, great. It's like, but um, yeah, they were definitely the films that they chose a very eclectic range of films. And as when they introduced them, they they were like they weren't hiding the fact that it was like, yeah, this will be a challenging film to watch. This is going to be something interesting. It's like you give it the give it give it your attention. You might be in for a treat and stuff like that. And, uh, and definitely the the, uh, the presentation at the, the uh, at the Regal uh, LA Live was top solid for not just the presentation, the projection, the screen, and the screens were large for the size of the auditoriums, but it was actually a really well done festival. And definitely love to do it again. But I know. Just this year alone, we got Outfest, AFI, and a bunch of other things coming. So <laughs> it won't be long before we do it again. So yeah, and also absolutely. some fun parties afterwards. I like the world. The world premiere screenings tended to have parties that they would announce to the audience and just invite the entire body of the audience. And so I went to um, Polywog's world premiere. Carl Jacob had um, a party in the arts district downtown, mm. and that was super fun. And there were mm. people from the Midwest who had come to see his film and just talking with everyone. That was you know, an extra mm-hmm. highlight experience. Um, yeah, I, I did get to uh, go to one mixer that was uh, basically free booze. I'm like, all right. <laughs> After that <laughs> many films, you need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so thank fun. you guys for uh, sending us out there. Oh, yeah. It's not a problem. Hope, hopefully we can do it more. Ernie's going to Outfest. When, when does Outfest start? Um, Outfest starts on the 12th. And then I'll cover that for about five days, and then I start Comic Con. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. You guys pretty much saw all the films that I've been dying to see. Yeah, you. Yeah, pretty much. When I was looking at the list of what what the three of you saw, I was like, oh my god! Like every one of those on that list, I want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's it's good that no, everything that, that I wanted to see, you guys have said good things about. So I'm very oh. excited now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, there's stuff that I wanted to see that I wasn't able to get into. So that's so that was like that. Ah. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, taking some time to speak with us. Ah, no, no problem. problem. Let's go over last week's predictions. White House down. I said 52. You said 22. Actual 49. Are you so serious? I I heard pretty bad things. I'm surprised it's even that high. Yeah, that seems. I I've heard nothing but bad things. Yeah. Wow. 49, at least right now, on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the Heat, I said 55. You said 60. Actual 65. Again, that's much higher than I expected it to be. Because to me, the Heat was pretty mediocre. But whatever. Uh, we also predicted Byzantium. I guess that didn't get any kind of wide release. But uh-huh. I said 48. You said 50. Actual 58 on that. I'm glad we did it. Two for you, one for me. I'm the winner. Next week we have Despicable Me 2. Hmm. What do you think on Despicable Me 2? Hmm. 70. I I think it looks terrible. 70. I'm going to say 60. Hmm. And then we have The Lone Ranger. Uh, I'm going to say... 65? Mm, 68. And that's that's it for wide releases. Also in limited release, we have The Way Way Back. Okay. Which I'm... I, I'm are, you, are you interested? I'm interested. I'm interested in anything with Rockwell in it. 
I think that he, I mean, uh, he's he's one of my favorite actors working. I'm I want to see it just because I'm a fan of Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, and this is their directorial debut. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm definitely interested. Uh, we don't need to predict that or anything because unfortunately I think that that's getting a limited release. Maybe not though. I'm pretty sure I saw a poster for it at the multiplex by my house. Mm. No. Uh, let's talk about DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, July 2nd, 2013. Whole lot of nothing. I'm not sure. There's, <laughs> I, I'm I haven't sure. looked at this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, have you seen the list? It's like, n- there's nothing. I guess, there's well, I, like, guess, I guess what you call it, it being 4th of July week. That's probably what it is. No, nothing I mean, there's it. like, there's some digibooks that are being released, like E.T. and Jaws, but that's pretty much it. Like, Tai Chi Hero... Uh, the Tower. Those are two. I can't remember where the Tower. We actually have a review for that up on the site. That's an Asian film, and Six Souls, which I never even heard of. With mm-hmm. I think Julianne Moore's in that. The Any house? Criterion's or anything? No, Criterion's nothing coming out. The house I live in. I remember hearing good things about that. I didn't even see that on the list. Documentary. Eugene Jarecki. Yeah, the house I live in is apparently a documentary about uh, America's war on drugs. You know, the criminal justice system, U.S. drug policy, and all that stuff. Hmm. Sounds a lot like how to make money selling drugs. Yeah. Probably not as fun though. No, probably not. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Pretty yeah. pretty light week. I I would recommend checking out video on demand because there's some really good stuff on on demand right now. Yeah, there's definitely nothing coming out on the DVD. Yeah. Blu-ray, I mean. I'm yeah. still stuck in the DVD phase. Same <laughs> DVD. Like, I don't... I never say Blu-ray. I always say DVD. I usually I usually group them together and say DVD and Blu-ray. Blu-ray I mean, some stupid. At, at, at some point, we're either going to just say Blu-ray and that's it, or we're not even going to be talking about <laughs> video <laughs> releases anymore. We're just going to be no. talking about what's on on demand. Yeah. Because really, that's probably what we should be talking about anyway. Because those are like the actual new releases. Yeah, I mean, do people buy Blu-rays? I think there's. I think the only people that buy Blu-rays nowadays are like collectors. Yeah. Like I'll I'll buy. There's certain Blu-rays that'll come out that I'll just have to have. Yeah. But mostly just to have it in my collection. All right, I think that, that wraps it up for all the latest film news and reviews. Visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. going through ryan's twitter and i just love to see that on election day he tweets to barack obama congratulations (laughs) 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 oh my god oh my god that is that's the best thing i've heard all day i didn't know he (laughs) like he expects him to respond hey thanks man
<laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's amazing. <laughs>